Hello and welcome to another Inside the U podcast. Be sure to visit InsideTheU.com and follow us on Twitter at InsideTheU. This is Christopher Stock and I'm joined by David Lake. David, how's it going? Good, good. How are you doing? Good, man. Man, I, I don't know... Uh, I don't know what to think about this Nebraska game. Um, it just feels like this, this is going to be a podcast, a lot to talk about. Just a strange game. You know, you leave the game, Miami wins 36-33 in overtime. Uh, usually, I'm, uh, you know, I've covered this team. This is my 13th year covering the team, and usually I can remember, you know, just games and things of the past. But I, I, can't, I, can't, I really can't think of any, any other time where this has happened before. You know, Miami blows a 23-point lead in the fourth quarter. Uh you know, and, and you know they they get the win in overtime, and um, it, it's just it's just hard to I, I don't know which way to go. Is, is it issues or is it you know Miami won thirty six thirty three is a little of both. Uh, you know Miami's three and zero. Does that mean everything is great? Uh, just just what was your kind of quick takeaway and yeah. uh, of what you saw? It's interesting. I think in a lot of ways we saw the the very best of what this team can be with with how they played in the first half. And then, you know, that fourth quarter, I think we saw the very worst of what this team can be, uh, you know, with, with how they let Nebraska get back in the game with being down 23 points in the last 10 minutes or so and letting them tie the game. So I think I'd, I'd like to start by just talking about the things we saw in the first half. And then, you know, later on, we can get into the fourth quarter and all that and kind of what we saw that that went wrong in the fourth quarter. Uh, but I think, so the first half, first quarter, I guess, in particular, I mean, Miami's offense couldn't, couldn't really have asked for a better start to the game. I think we saw the best of what Brad Kaya has to offer. Uh, in the first quarter alone, he was, he was 10 of 14 for 152 yards and two touchdowns. And uh, only one of his passes in that first quarter was uh, for less than 10 yards. So he was really getting some chunk yards um, in that whole quarter, and a lot of it was because of the way Nebraska was was defending Miami, just leaving the receivers one-on-one with pretty much no safety help in the back, and, and Miami took full advantage of that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when a game like this happens, or, you know, you don't we don't want to do a podcast where we're just, you know, the next 30 to 40 minutes is just going to be all negative and but then, but the, but that is part of it. But the, yeah, there's definitely some positives you can take away from it. And uh, uh, I, I still just can't get over how the how the game transcribed. I was talking to my one of my one of my friends that's not in the media, and you know he had he had the game on DVR and cut it off in the fourth quarter before the comeback. You know he saw and he didn't get to see the game. But then you know looked at the box score and couldn't believe it. And it seemed like it was one of those games for a lot of people. You know we were both there and. Uh, there, you know, they announced it like fifty-three thousand people there, and it definitely seemed like a good crowd. And but by the yeah. time of the second half, you know, it's it had dwindled, and I think a lot of people expected Miami just to walk away with it. I mean, they were up twenty-seven to three. Uh, they built that lead. I think, you know, the biggest thing that you mentioned, Brad Kaya, and obviously he had a good game. Uh, you know, Rashawn Scott. Um, we, we've been high on Rashawn. You know, throughout the off season, he was a guy we thought would be a big influence on this offense and I, I was just really impressed with him and just you know he attacked he ran good routes made big plays um you know he was physical um you know it, and he did it all different kinds of ways I thought Rashawn was a huge bright spot for Miami and um it, you know you'll look at the nine catches and 151 that that definitely shows that he was productive and uh but yeah I, I just was really impressed with what I saw from Rashawn and I've just been really impressed with his mentality and his approach to the game and I think it's. I think he's a guy. Again, I think he's a guy that you're going to see that continue with him. I thought he was a big part of how Miami got up twenty-seven three, and I thought he was a a big part of their their success. Yeah, Rashawn definitely continues to establish himself as the number one receiver in this offense, and it was a, it was a good also to see him kind of bounce back from a you know somewhat unproductive Florida Atlantic game. Um, that was a game when when Herb Waters kind of was was their top receiver, but um, yeah, against Nebraska, Rashawn did it all. Uh, a lot of yards after catch. He, uh, like you said, he made some tough catches in traffic as well. I think Rashawn, you know, with the way offenses are nowadays, I think if Rashawn stays healthy, he's going to have a real chance to have the the single season uh, yardage record 
for for receiving. Uh, you know, if he stays healthy and and continues to produce, I think he's really going to have a shot at at kind of putting his name in the record books for a single season. You think he's going to have that good of a year? I mean, that's I mean, David, we talk about not overreacting with things, but you think I mean, you don't no, you do. don't say that very often about guys. I mean, but you really think he, he could have that big of a year, huh? I do, just because I mean, this offense is really putting a, a heavy emphasis on the pass. They're playing a lot out of the shotgun, and I think. You know, I I have um, questions about the defense, so I do think that this offense is going to need to outscore opponents, so to speak. So I think Rashawn's gonna, I think he's going to produce at a very high level this year. You know, another guy, yeah, I, I definitely think so too. And you know, Herb Waters was a guy again, you know, productive there. Uh, and this is no surprise. We had talked, we think Rashawn and Herb and Stacy had separated themselves as the best receivers on the team. You know, Stacy's out, so yeah, you are seeing Rashawn and and Herb making plays. I think with Stacy, again, we said this last week on the podcast. You know, you're starting to worry or wonder what kind of seasons he's going to have. And you know, you, you, David, you know, I'm up in the press box during games, and you're down on the field taking pictures. You, so you're you're able to see it different. But you said you saw Stacy dealing with his hamstring. You felt like throughout the game, and obviously we saw him get hurt there at the end in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, it just it just feels like, you know. It could be their slow start, and you still believe in his ability, no doubt. But um, just if you're looking for that complete season, he's already feeling like he's behind the eight ball. Yeah, hamstrings are just one of those injuries that lingers. So it's going to be something he's going to have to deal with probably the whole season. It's never going to go away. Um, personally, I would like to just see him get off returns. Like I, I don't think he needs to be back there doing that when he's and they got yeah, and they got other guys, David. I mean, you know, they got yeah. other guys that can use. I, I don't see why. Um I know why. I mean he's been successful at it. Yeah, but I agree. If he's dealing with that, there's no sense in, in making it worse. Yeah, and he clearly tweaked it. I mean in the fourth quarter that's that's when he kinda tweaked it again. He you know, it was like a pooch, like Nebraska showed a onside kick kind of look and then they just kinda pooched it down to, to Stacy and you know, as soon as he burst with the ball up the field, he, he kind of, you could tell, he, he felt it. So moving forward, hopefully they don't put him in those in those situations and he can continue to, to manage this, this injury. Um, one guy, another positive I want to bring up with this game, and really he's had a, a great season, is Joe Yearby. Um, you know, he's been... He's been really good running. I mean, Miami's pretty much only running the ball out of shotgun, and Joe Yearby is definitely producing in those situations. He he's not wasting any steps with with when he gets the ball. He's immediately cutting up field, and uh, you know his forty something yard touchdown in the second half was Miami's only touchdown in the second half. So it, it turned out to be a huge play. He's you know shown some game breaking ability on that play, and uh, you know I just think all the hype was with Mark Walton and and even Gus Edwards before he was injured, um, but really I mean Joe Yearby has been quite the revelation here this through the first three games. And it, you know we talked in the off season it, it was surprising the way or even in the spring ball it just was surprising how the coaches or people talked about Yearby and. Um, you know, I don't want to say they forgot about. It. I don't. I don't know what it was. You know, multiple things. And this is before his issues in the summer. It just didn't seem like they valued him uh, that high, or or um, it definitely seemed like you heard a lot more about Gus Edwards and and um, and obviously when Mark got here. But I, I think Joe. I, I don't think there's any question. You know, I, we're talking three games in, and the first game w- was kind of whatever with, with Bethune. But these last two games, I, I don't think there's any question that Yearby separated himself from Mark and. Um, Mark's a guy that, that they want to still get carries, but you know, Mark's just not being productive right now. You know, this is, you know, last game, he was three yards a carry, uh, this game I'm looking, he's at 2.3. So where conversely year is the one, you know, breaking off big runs and yeah, that touchdown was big. And, and we talked so much about it coming into the year, you know, is Joe going to have the speed? We knew about he, he gained strength and stuff. And, and yeah, it does look like he, he's lost a little bit of a step, but he's made up for it with his power because he's he's breaking through runs, and that was just a perfect example uh, of him showing his power, and, and he, he plowed through those guys and was able to get that extra whatever it was, 10 to 15 yards, and, and get the touchdown. So Yeah, he, and the way, the way he just runs so efficiently too. Like, he's the kind of running back that, I mean, he really doesn't 
lose yards on a lot of on you know during a game like I'm looking at the stats for this Nebraska game he didn't lose he didn't have a single negative run so right. you know he's he's just he's very efficient and uh you know he's always been like last year they praised him for for the tracks his running tracks the way you know the holes he chooses uh to hit and they say he just has great vision and instincts when it comes to that and uh you know I think we're seeing that this year and he's he's definitely established himself as the lead back and you know the playing time reflects that the coaches see it that way as well yeah definitely and and you know with Joe I do think you know although he has uh he, he like you said he's got this natural vision I do think he has improved from a year ago based on what we are hearing from practices and coaches it seemed like they were saying you know they didn't want him to dance so much um and I and that just could have been just the adjustment of getting to college and things like that but um, he, he's definitely, you're right. He's not wasting any movements. He's getting upfield. Uh, yeah. So Joe's, Joe's off to a good start to his seat, to his season here. Another guy, and it's not someone we talk about hardly at all. Um, but it was someone, you know, when we watched, when we saw him in, in high school there at South Dade, we liked Tyree Brady in the sense of what he was or could develop into. Sure. He wasn't a guy that yeah. was, you know, he wasn't one of these big time guys and, and, and maybe the guys that are lower rank, we tend to, uh, dismiss him and, and some of these guys we do but Tyree we, we did like a little bit of what we saw and you know you saw against Nebraska man he had two catches he he catches that touchdown early uh made a good individual play and then they he made a good adjustment um on the yeah. ball with the catch it and that that catch there the the big long one the 34 yarder you know something like that you know he's not a guy that gets thrown to a lot and it seems like most of the time if you see that you're like oh well he's not gonna be able to track the ball in the air like that it's just not going to be, you know, it's just a tough catch, but he came down with it and uh, just a very productive in his limited role. And um, again, I don't see him challenging those top guys and passing no. people, but he, he's good in his role and he had a good game on in Nebraska. And, he did. And, yeah, I mean, it's good to see him flash like that. And like you said, that 34 yard catch he had was impressive with the way he tracked and adjusted to the ball. I mean, if that ball, I mean, that was, that was a kind of situation where Brad saw that. I mean, they're just covering this guy one on one. I'm gonna throw him a streak, and uh, and see what happens. And it was it wasn't the best throw. If Brad throws that out in front, and Tyree can really run under it and catch it, it's a touchdown. But you know, Tyree adjusted, and he he came down with the catch. And uh, you know, like you said, he's 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 more of a developmental guy moving forward. But certainly, you know, he's a guy who next year you hope he can step in for Rashawn Scott and Herb Waters and. And and go into next year with confidence with with the playing time that that he's received this year. And we've seen it be so valuable for guys like that uh, early on in their careers to take that next step. We, Alan Hearns is a guy, a perfect example of a guy that progressed in his career. You know, Leonard Hankerson was a guy that again prog- just kept progressing in his career. So, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to put Tyree in, in that category. He's got a lot to yeah, a lot of he's work got a to place do. To go there. I'm just making making an example of there is steps with a player development at that sure. position, and and you're hoping to see that from Tyree just sure. continue to get better, and, and you know because you you know at that position you you can continue to make improvements. Last last positive thing I want to touch on with the offense, I you know going into the game I had I did I had concerns that the offensive line wouldn't be able to hold up well against this Nebraska front four. And Nebraska, I mean, they were missing one of their better, de- their second best D tackle um, was dealing with an ankle injury, so he didn't really play. Um, so they were missing guys, but even still, I mean, we saw struggles against FAU with the O line, and, and certainly Nebraska's backups are better than what FAU's rolling out there. And, uh, you know, I, I got to give the offensive line credit. Is it perfect? No, not by any means. But I feel like they played a solid game. Uh, they allowed one sack. Um, I didn't. I don't remember any any plays. You know, seeing any plays live when I was watching from the field of an offensive lineman just totally getting destroyed, like I did the week before against FAU. I saw multiple guys whiff on blocks, not even get their hands on guys. And I feel like just in general, as a group, the offensive line did a better job against Nebraska. Yeah, definitely. And and you're right. You know, it wasn't perfect. It's not a perfect line right now. Um, but definitely they, they showed they showed a little bit more signs of improvement. Um, like you said, that the whiffing uh, that we saw in the past and 
and things that we've been concerned about. You didn't see that as much with Nebraska. It felt like they were physical at the point of attack, and uh, they definitely stepped it up. And now there's certain times, or you know, Brad Kaya. There's times when there, he does feel pressure. It looks like sure. it's not this perfect uh, bow of, of linemen. He's just making easy throws with with no pressure. Brad's having to get the ball out pretty quickly and make decisions pretty sure. pretty quickly. But you know, for the, again, for the most part. Um, you saw improvements. It, it wasn't a you know complete disaster by any means, and and yeah. I think that definitely helped. You know, in, in year B two, you know, not the holes weren't just wide open for Joe to run through, but right. they're definitely there, and, and Joe's able to hit it, and um, they they were they were sufficient. And and again, you just file this away positive for the most part for them throughout the game, and then yeah, I, I mean, we'll I see just, how it goes next week. I feel like you know we've been tough on the O line, so and and you know they. They weren't great going into this game. But, I mean, I feel like, you know, we got to give credit where it's due, and they they improved. So they still need to improve moving forward. Um, so hopefully we see them continue to take these kind of steps throughout the season. Another group that we've been critical of, obviously, and, and not just us, it's, and it's deservedly so. I feel like when the criticism comes, it's it's coming of a place of evaluation and, and production and what we're seeing. But the defense, David, the defense – uh, we'll, we'll get into the fourth quarter stuff of what we saw there, but um, uh, 27 to three in the third quarter, you're holding an opponent down to three points. Clearly when you're doing that, you're doing some things right. And I think we saw that with the defense. I think you saw them, you know, they were good early. Uh, they were swarming to the ball. They were hitting well. Uh, they seemed to be tackling well. You know, they, they were keeping Nebraska out of getting out of a rhythm. And I thought the defense uh, deserves credit for, for, for stepping up uh, early, you know, that first half yeah. and, and I feel and like the third in particular, you know, in the first quarter in particular, I feel like the Miami DBs as a group played well in that first quarter. I, you know, I think we saw kind of the best of Artie Burns in the first half, I guess, in particular. He had that awesome pick, you know, right before halftime. Um, you know, the first quarter, Corn and Dion had some some nicely timed hits that caused some drops. I mean, the Nebraska receivers probably should have caught the ball, but certainly Korn and Dion timed their hits well to to pop those balls out. And uh, Jamal Carter had a near pick um, in the first half. And Dion had some nice tackles in the open field in the first half. So I think, you know, I was impressed in particular with the DB group and kind of how they did in the first half. Um We'll talk about it later. I mean, I don't think they sustained it the whole game, which they need to do, you know, moving forward. But certainly in the first half, that group, I feel like, did a good job. Yeah, no doubt. And talking about Artie Burns, um, you know, that's his third interception. I thought, you know, we, we thought Artie was a guy, this is his junior year with all of his athletic ability. Was he going to be a guy that breaks out? Because I do think, you know, he's got an NFL potential and even possibly leaving after this year. And I, I reached out to an NFL scout afterwards you know, just just curious of his thoughts of of Artie and you know, because Artie not, not only is he having the physical tools now, he's at three interceptions, he's being productive. Yeah. You know now, you know now at that position, you know sometimes you can have a good player that's not productive at that position, but now he's got three interceptions already. So I asked the scout, I was like, you know, just what are your thoughts on it? And it's just like, you know, he's just like, you know, I've heard he's a beast. Yeah, um, he's hearing good things about him. He hasn't got a chance to watch this last game. Um, so maybe later on in a different podcast, I'll address that. But, um, you know, he's not getting talked about. I feel like we're the only ones talking about already an NFL potential. But, sure. Uh, I mean, I, really, Miami hasn't played anyone yet. So, I mean, Nebraska was kind of the first real game for Artie. And, you know, I, I personally, I think it was a little up and down. I mean, I, I think he can definitely put a nice season together, and he's a candidate to leave early for the NFL. But uh, I think, it, you know, like the game in general, it was kind of a tale of two halves for Artie. I think we saw the best of Artie in the first half, and then we saw, you know, some things Artie needs to improve on in the second half. What were some other things defensively that you saw uh, early on that you liked? Again, they, they obviously did some things well. What, David, what were some things that, that maybe you thought that, that you saw that you liked or, or were encouraged by or just... Maybe you saw some improvements. What did you see early on with the defense? Sure. So, I mean, you know, going into the game, a big question was how would they, you know, could they continue the momentum of the FAU game with with stopping the run? Could they carry that into the Nebraska game? 
And I think, you know, they did they they did their job with their run fits in the first half and, you know, did a good job kind of forcing Nebraska quarterback Tommy Armstrong to have to make some third down throws and, and you know, Nebraska had drops which ended drives and so the front seven did a good job uh stuffing the run in the first half and kind of putting the ball in third and long situations. Yeah, also I thought with the defense, um, you know, they were very physical. You know, Nebraska had all those drops, and you wonder what what the yeah. game would have been like early on. But you know, some of those drops, you know, Miami was hitting them. You know, I, it wasn't like they were completely right, right. wide open drops. I mean, Miami was physical back there, and I thought that they created, uh, you know, created plays or or made hard hits. And um, I thought that was good in that sense that that they were delivering hits there. Um, so I thought yeah. that was good that they were, cause you know, we haven't seen that. You don't, you don't see that every game with this defense. We haven't seen no. that. And, and certainly we didn't see that all game. Uh, it was just in spurts, but you take that and that was definitely a positive early on. Yeah. And you know, the Nebraska drops was definitely a thing in that first half. I counted, I counted five drops and, you know, I think four of them would have been first downs. So those were definitely some drive killers for Nebraska. I mean, Miami gets credit on a few of those because, like you said, they they certainly timed some hits that that jarred the ball loose. But Nebraska also had, also in the first half, they had two penalties that took away first downs. So, I mean, yes, Miami's defense looked better in the first half than the second half. But there was also, there was kind of signs that there was things there for Nebraska to take advantage of. And... Nebraska's offense really, in the first quarter in particular, kind of kept shooting themselves in the foot. So is it time to talk about the fourth quarter? Yeah, let's do it. Because I don't know how you can be at that game, watch that game, and uh, come away from the game and just say, well, Miami won 36-33 in overtime, no big deal, 3-0. and And what's interesting was, you know, after the game we're there in the press conference room and a lot of the players – all the players, David, I mean, all the players were like, talk, people would ask about it, and there wasn't, all the players were like, well, we won, no big deal. And they really essentially said that. It wasn't like, it was different for me because from covering this team in years past, typically what you would hear is, that that can't happen, that was disappointing, we can't let that happen again if we're trying to win a Coastal or an ACC title, um, but we did win and we got we, we to gotta fix it. You know, something like that is is what you sure. thought you would hear. David, you were there. We didn't hear any of that. Everyone really was just like, yep, no big deal. We won. Al Golden was kind of like that. And I was kind of surprised. I thought somebody would say, yeah, that's un- unacceptable. And, and I think I, I watched the fan. You know, the players are jumping on the field after they won the game. But the fans, when they leave, were looking a little confused and disappointed. So what we watched the game over again. Um because when we're there, there's a lot of things going fast, especially in the fourth quarter with writing and getting things organized for post-game stuff. But watching it over again, what I guess just take me through what you saw. I was able to chart some things that I picked up on. What were some things that you noticed that you thought, you know, why did why did Miami collapse? Why were they up 33-10 with nine minutes to go? And why did they go? Why how did that game go to overtime? What happened? Well, I guess I guess we should. I'll start defensively. Because, um, I mean, there was issues with offense and defense in the Sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but defensively, two things, I mean, really kind of just stood out to me. Um, first of all, I mean, Miami did, they sent a lot of pressures in the fourth quarter. They sent multiple blitzes, whether it's the nickel corner or an outside linebacker on a blitz on the other side or both at the same time to try and get the ball out of, uh, Tommy Armstrong's hands quick, which, you know, is is fine. I mean, it, it can be a strategy that works. Um, didn't really didn't really work too well uh, in the fourth quarter, mainly, I think, because it looked to me like Miami's defensive backs were either tired or worn out. I mean, they just looked really poor in the fourth quarter to me. And, uh, you know, they lot of... They, they let a lot of man on man situational catches happen. I mean, Artie Burns got beat deep. Uh, he should never get beat deep in those kind of situations. He should know. Can't let the guy get behind me. But 
I don't know if he was dealing with some kind of minor injury during the game. He just looked slow and kind of worn out to me in the game. So to me, it was kind of a combination of getting burned on blitzes, blitzes being kind of ineffective on Tommy, Tommy Armstrong. And I mean, he does deserve some credit. I mean, he he creates, he extends plays with his feet. And uh, and then on the on the back end, Miami's DBs just played really, really poor. And I, what I did with, with that, you know, looking at the 11, you know, Tommy Armstrong completes 11 passes there in the fourth quarter, uh, three for touchdowns in addition to two passing, two-point conversions. So uh, of the 11 completions, what I did was I, I kind of looked like, you know, who was who was allowing them. I wanted to see what yeah. was going on on each one. So what I did was I, I charted each one and kind of what surprised me a little bit, I mean, because, you know, oh, Deion Bush got ejected, Jamal Carter got ejected, was that a big right. thing? and. The way I looked at it, though, uh, the way I charted, I think a lot of all the almost all the catches, it was a responsibility of the cornerbacks. You know, yeah. I, you, you mentioned the 41 yarder that Artie gave up. He also allowed a 33 yarder. The guy's running across the field. That was Artie's guy. He also right. allowed a 10 yard pass in front of him. Um, so, you know, just Artie on those three plays, that's three catches for 84 yards on Artie. And, you know, just early in this podcast, talking so much about his positives. Now, now you're looking at stuff of what's going on. Yeah, you mentioned his foot or uh, a minor injury. Maybe he was dealing with something. Um, we don't know for sure, but he, he looked, still has to. He, he looked slow to me. Like in the fourth quarter, it wasn't the same already. Like I don't know if it was just effort or if it was an injury, but it just looked different to me. Do you agree? Yeah, he wasn't the same, and he wasn't. Artie's a guy you should never worry about his effort or speed or his speed, not effort, but yeah. just his speed. It's always he's a premier speed guy. So when he's not running full speed, yeah, the forty-one yard. I watched on that play. The receiver lines up. It's a it's a long pass. I mean, Artie bails out like they usually do as a corner and run with them, and then just gets beat down the sideline. So um, I think it's something to watch moving forward, though, because okay, if it's not an injury thing and it's just like a a being worn down uh, type of thing right. in the fourth quarter. I mean, this defense only plays three corners. Sure. So, I mean, are they willing to to play another guy, or are they just kind of hoping these guys don't have that kind of game again moving forward? I don't uh, know. I, I think I think it's what you said. I think that they're going to roll these three out. We have not heard, you know, Sheldrick Redwine would be that guy. It feels like the freshman, but he's not gotten any reps in games. It feels like defensively meaningful snaps. Um, no. I think they're going with these three, and I, I would lean towards more either getting tired because this was a team that threw the ball, they threw it 45 times. I think you're going to see that more in the ACC. Obviously, with Cincinnati, they throw the ball all over the place, so yeah. they're going to get tested again. And I think it is a concern or an issue. To, it is moving forward in terms of, you know, can these corners be out there as much as they are? Because it's not just two corners at a time. We're talking all three of them are out there quite a bit. And um, you mentioned blitzes. Corn Elders used so much on blitzes, so he's used going towards that, you know, towards the quarterback and also covering. So he, he has a lot of responsibilities. He's also doing punt returns. So you're wondering if that is becoming an issue. Um, you know, we talk about we talked about Artie and then Corn, but Tracy Howard had a really disappointing, really poor fourth yeah. quarter. I mean, he allowed two touchdowns on him. You know, he allowed a two-point conversion on him. So, I mean, that's three plays right there on the in the end zone that, that Tracy didn't come up with. And, um you know that has to be better. He can't. He can't be allowing stuff like that. And um, again, disappointing because earlier in the game you saw him. Um, even in the fourth quarter, he did have a pass breakup. You know, he he was in position to make plays, but then, but it's 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 not enough just to for that when you're giving up touchdowns and big passes and big plays. Um, it, it just counters so much of maybe some of the positive stuff you do earlier in the game because, as we know, you know touchdowns are just such a big thing uh, for cornerbacks to allow and. And I thought the cornerbacks, uh, those three guys were the ones. The other thing I would say, too, real quick, we'll talk about Deion Bush and Jamal Carter being out, but the other thing that didn't get talked, you know, I think that I noticed was Jermaine Grace being out of the game. I thought, you know, Jawan Young gave up a big play, and then I thought Mar yeah. Marquise Gayot struggled in pass coverage there in the fourth quarter, too. And I think both of those guys might you know, might not have been on the field if Jermaine Grace was healthy. So I thought that was that was more of an issue, I thought, than, than necessarily than, than Deion um, being out. Um, although, you know, you look at it, it's 33-10 when, when Dion gets out, you know, gets kicked out of the game and then things do fall apart. I just don't think it was just that one player or he was the main issue. And there was such a drop off 
although he's definitely a guy that they count on. But you agree, I guess. I mean, the defense in the fourth quarter, it was pretty aggressive. I mean, they did they did do a lot of blitzing and uh I'm just I'm just wondering, do you do you like that? Do you think uh do you think that that was an okay thing to do in those situations or just kind of what generally what what do you think about that philosophy they had in the fourth quarter? Yeah, it's definitely interesting when you hear about aggression and playing it safe. It feels like everyone hates to play it safe and it's just a don't do that kind of thing. Well, I thought I think just looking at it, okay, Miami's up 33-10, looks like the defense relaxed, you know, just outside looking yeah. in. That's what you would it, assume, David. I think that's what people would assume and I just didn't see that. I I I agree with you. I thought they were playing. They were still playing aggressive. I I don't think they they were now they weren't Get breaking up plays and doing stuff, but I thought they were still playing it out defensively. It just wasn't working. But yeah, I think there's times where that it is okay to play a little bit more conservatively. Um, and I, I, I just when we talk about conservative and play it safe, it just felt like we saw so much of that on the offensive side um, with what they were doing because you know it's a 23 points given up by the defense, but the offense certainly didn't help at all during that situation. Yeah, and I yeah, well yeah, I mean the offense. The offense didn't do a good job by setting up the defense with, you know, chewing time off the clock and and kind of those calls. Um, you want to go into the offense now? Are you yeah, done? Yeah, I mean, is is there stuff with the defense? We talked, you know, I asked Golden, you know, what happened with the defense, and he kind of he pinpointed, you know, plays. What the biggest thing he said was he thought that there were plays where they could have sacked the quarterback, and what it did was they weren't able to sack him, so it gets them outside the pocket. And that actually became an advantage for Nebraska. But I, I don't know. I mean, there were a few. I look at, the again, the 11 completions he had. There were a few times. There's no doubt there were a few times that happened. Yeah, he did. I mean, he he does create some plays. But it wasn't it wasn't like that entirely. So, But he, either way, I don't. that's not an excuse. If you're rushing the quarterback, I thought there were time, multiple times. And, again, that, that's a defensive line that you're wanting to see more of. You're wanting to see more playmaking ability. Obviously, they're – they're, they're, what they expect from the defensive line isn't always conducive to be in individual standouts um, with the way they like to do things. But there are times when when it looks like they've got to make plays and they do get opportunities to to go after the quarterback and things like that. And and they just weren't able to do that nearly yeah. enough. I saw I saw on the radio this week. You know, Coach Golden was saying by their you know they go back and tally their own kind of stats. Sure. You know, when they watch film. I guess he was saying that he felt like Miami missed 10 sacks during the game on Armstrong. Well, that sounds generous. Yeah, I thought so too. But, you know, that's how they kind of see it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, defensively, again, um, do you want to talk, talk about the ejections? What do you think of those guys? What do you think of those plays? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, that's just – those kind of plays are just the reality of college football now. So, you know, it's tough because, you know, you think about 10 years ago, are those penalties? Probably not. But, you know, we're going to, the headshots are going to be protected nowadays. So you got to be, you got to be, uh, you know, careful with, with, with hitting the head, anything above the shoulder pads. And, you know, it's just something Miami has to adjust to. I like the aggression that they showed on those plays, but you just, you know, hopefully now they've learned that can't really be doing those those kind of headshots. Yeah, so so the update there is Deion Bush and Jamal Carter suspended for the first half of the next game against Cincinnati on October 1st. Uh, a little bit, a few more updates. Um, yeah, they're expecting Stacey Coley to be fine. They're expecting Braxton Berrios to come back. Uh, make his return after two two weeks off uh, with a knee injury. Uh, Jermaine Grace went through a concussion protocol after the game. They expect him to be fine. Um, so everyone, it sounds like they'll be relatively healthy uh, for the October first game um, against Cincinnati. David, what did you see from the offense? Um, again, a lot is made of the defense, and deservedly so. What did you see from the offense uh, in the fourth quarter? Yeah. So I, you know. The things, the things I would say with the offense, in general, I guess not just the fourth quarter, but the thing, the thing that really irked me with the offense 
during the game was the inefficiency in the red zone. And that certainly popped up in the fourth quarter. Uh, they throw a pick in in the fourth quarter um, where the the play on those first, you know, starting with first and goal, it was run, then pass, and then pass for an interception. So, and I, I one thing I tracked during the game was, so Miami had, um, let me see here, 11 plays from the 11-yard line and in, right? Okay. And, and their splits on those plays was seven pass plays and four run plays. Now, maybe I'm just too old school, but I would much rather see that flipped where it's seven run plays and four pass plays. And when they did run the ball, they didn't really have much success. Mark Walton couldn't punch in a score. He, he had like first and goal from the three and then first and goal from the two. And then Miami had a false start penalty and then they they attempted a pass and didn't get it. So they kicked a field goal. One thing I would like... I would like to see with this offense moving forward is let's start, you know, in the red zone, let's give Trayon Gray a chance. Um, he's the biggest back on the roster. He's probably the most aggressive runner on the roster. Uh, you know, with Gus Edwards injured, he's the biggest back on the roster. I would like to see him get more burn moving forward inside, you know, be kind of a red zone back for this offense and short yardage back for this offense. And to me, that popped up too at the end of the game when, you know, Joseph Yerby's done a great job, but he couldn't convert, you know, second and short and third and short on their final drive in the fourth quarter, and they have to go and give the ball back to Nebraska. So... You know, I would like, I understand, I mean, they don't, they clearly don't trust Trayon yet, but I think he offers something that they need to look into here. Yeah, I agree. And uh, we'll see how that is moving forward. And another thing that was interesting was it was brought up a lot on the TV broadcast. They noticed it, but just the, the amount of passes and, um, you know, you saw a whole drive of five passes and, you know, you're, you're taking barely a minute off the clock or, or a minute or two. And, um, you know, at that point, you you seem like you would have just wanted to run the ball. Uh, again, you never know what can happen. You're up with, by so much, but it, it you know, as we're we we're, were texting throughout the game, you know, there in that fourth quarter, and just kind of like, you know, the the way that the time was going, it wasn't coming off the clock. And Nebraska, you know, if they start catching their passes instead of dropping them all the time, it, it could present some troubles. So I, I was just kind of surprised. It just seemed like they just wanted to keep passing and weren't too concerned about. Uh, taking time off the clock. And another thing I saw, one thing I wrote down too, so Miami's up 15 there with around the eight-minute mark. And not only, so they started running, but they were snapping the ball at 17 seconds left, er, er, you know, like three straight yeah. plays. And and so not only were they running, they were they were going faster. And, and that's that's faster than they normally go typically anyways. Uh, just if you look at their their plays per, you know, how often do they run a play uh, per second? It's something that I've tabulated already through the first two games. So they, it just seemed like not only were they, um, when they did run, uh, they were, they were, you know, hiking the ball fast and they obviously didn't, but, it, but to me at that point, that, that should have been an opener. The first possession when they, you know, you get all, you know, the five passes uh, or the second possession there, but you know, the game's still in control, but when it gets 33, 18, that's two touchdowns, you know, nine minutes to go. Everyone knows at that point it seemed like it should have been okay. Now let's pay attention to the clock. And in that possession, that's when we saw that disaster of a with the. Uh, we're talking about things I've never seen before. I, I I don't think I've ever seen all those penalties on one play, uh, trying to yeah. get that punt off. Uh, that I mean that was ridiculous. And I, you're talking about a team that just completely lost it. Uh, every little issue that they could have. And we're talking about the players having penalties, but Al Golden uh, drawing those those penalties and the 15 yard penalty he drew after a five yard after uh, a, a warning early in the game for being on the sideline uh, that that can't happen that can't happen from your head coach especially for someone that demands his players uh to be accountable for for their mistakes i thought that was i thought he really put them in a bad position um you know it, i guess ultimately it didn't you know didn't, didn't necessarily matter um maybe a 10 yard difference on on the touchback but uh, it's still disappointing to see from from the head coach. 
Yeah, and like you said, he just needs to be more accountable about that penalty. I mean, he's kind of not addressing it, not taking ownership of it, which I think is interesting. But anyways, yeah, I mean, the offense, the offense in general, like throughout the game, well, I guess particularly in the second half, you know, they just, they looked kind of sloppy to me. I mean, they've had, they had two holding penalties, which erased, you know, two Mark Walton touchdowns and, and sure those, those penalties could have been the thing that sprung Mark Walton loose. But still, I mean, we, you can't have two touchdowns taken away due to penalties. And also third down is still an issue. Um, you know, in the in the first half, it didn't really pop up because Miami was getting chunks on first and second down. But, you know, they ended the game converting just uh, three of 14 third down opportunities. So that's an issue that that still Miami is not is not uh, improving on. And, uh, you know, I think just moving forward, it's it's something to watch. Yeah, definitely. It's been an issue. They there were. uh in 90th you know in the 90s the last two years in third down and i assume i haven't checked this year but yeah three of 14s you know that's not good enough and they even started out the first two games regardless that their opponents were inferior they they still struggled against on third down so yeah you mentioned third downs that's an issue three of 14 red zone touchdowns two of eight uh that's really bad it might have even been the touchdowns might have been the first two times they got in yeah so it was so six straight, not getting in. Uh, so yeah, the offense. Um, so I guess just kind of speeding this up, maybe a little bit. I don't. Is there anything else with the offense, David? Fourth quarter. No, I mean you know I just think those those things popped up. Third down, not being able to com- convert third downs, poor clock management, and you know the the turnover at the start of the fourth quarter was kind of a killer. Um, I would just like to see them when they're inside the 10, I would just like to see them run the ball more. And I would, in those situations, I would like to see Trayon Gray get some run. Yeah. So there's not much to talk about in overtime. Uh, first play, Nebraska gets it, throws it interception. Great, you know, good play by corn. Yeah. Good. And a heads up. We never talk about this, David, but a heads up play for him to try to return that. And then draws sure. the penalty and they get the ball in the 12 and, uh, it's pretty much easy to, there, and Mike Badgley kicks his fifth field goal of the game. They win, and and uh, Miami goes away with a with a victory and three and zero on the season. So overtime was real quick, uh, real uneventful compared to the fourth quarter, and uh, really stopped the momentum of, of Nebraska. Something they weren't able to do throughout the fourth. Sure, good play by Corn. Um, you know, because you you do going into that overtime, I felt like man, Nebraska has all the momentum. They're going to win this game. And, uh, you know, Corn immediately flips the momentum into Miami's favor. So kind of just slammed the door shut, game over. Uh, you know, we'll see what they got against Cincinnati now. I, uh, Miami's off to a 3-0 start. I still think there's plenty of questions with this team, but 3-0 start, I guess that's, that's what, what they would ask for at the start of the season. So 3-0, we'll see if they can get some of these things corrected. Sure. Uh, let's let's uh, let's ten- go to our questions here. Uh, something we're we're trying to do here on the podcast. You can ask questions to us on tr- on Twitter or on our message boards. Let's. I'm just going to ask you some of these questions that came in from fans, um, and definitely appreciate everyone that follows us and, and obviously our subscribers meant a lot to us over the years. Uh, but just starting from Twitter, Mooks in Time ask, "What is it going to take for this team to turn the corner? And these co- can these coaches lead them there?" Yeah, so turn the corner. I mean, in my opinion, Miami's not back until this defense is back. And, you know, the second half, the way the defense performed, it's it's not close to being back. So that brings up multitude of issues. And I would just say the easiest one is, does this scheme fit what Miami's about, what South Florida high school recruits are about, and I would say, no, it's not a good fit. So I think until you change the defensive scheme, you're not going to see the typical Miami defense. And until you see the typical Miami defense, you can't expect to see Miami back. 
Ed at Ed Sanchez two thirty five wants to know what can we what can be done to improve short yardage offense. I know you touched on that earlier with Trayon Gray. Uh, anything else, or just move on to the next question, or anything else you want to uh, play Trayon? There you go. At O one Gates Goat ask was the Nebraska game a positive for recruiting overall? Uh, we obviously saw some recruits there at the game. Just uh, was it? Do you think it was a positive? Um. It's interesting you're hesitating. Um, yeah, I would, I would say it's fine for guys that are already committed. I mean, guys that are committed, they're gonna they're gonna look at that and say, "Wow, Miami saw you know had some adversity in the fourth quarter, and they pulled it out." But I think guys you're targeting that aren't committed are going to look at that and have some questions. So, you know, I would say overall, slightly not a great recruiting tool yeah um okay and going to the message boards um we'll just start with the first one here from ghost he says we're not using using or showing a lot of pro set thus far this year which was a major part of our offense last year uh is this due to our o-line being young or is it a game strategy and only showing what we need to show he said i don't think i saw one bubble screen against nebraska um i guess it it definitely is interesting um and you're definitely seeing way a lot more shotgun and to me that could just be um, evaluating personnel as far as you know, you know, having Brad Kaya for a year, maybe understand how he works. Um, it's hard to say that the running backs, uh, these two running backs with Mark Walton and Yearby, they obviously excel out of shotgun running the ball. But I thought Duke was fine with that too. So it's not like Duke was a, a pro set running back, so to speak. I, I just think maybe that they're just ma- they've made adjustments, and I think you're going to see that throughout the year. I, I don't see him going back. Yeah. I think it just fits what Brad does best. So, I mean, we wrote about it last year, to be honest. They, right. you know, Brad is more effective out of shotgun. So, I think they probably looked at that, did some self evaluation this off season, and uh, you know, just moving forward with that. Bodog has a few questions here. Uh, asked about the offensive line. We've talked about their progression. He, another thing he said: uh, Who do you feel should be the starters and get the most reps on defense? David, they're obviously playing a lot of guys. Is there is there anyone that stands out to you that that you'd like to see more of uh, on defense? Um, I, in my opinion, they should tighten the safety rotation up to three guys. I mean, you know, Jamal and Dion are suspended against Cincinnati, but I, you know, assuming they're not suspended, I would like to see the safety rotation just be Jamal, Dion, and Rayshon Jenkins. Um, I'm trying to think. D-line. I mean, I understand rotating D-line. So, right. I mean, you know, I don't know if there's anyone there necessarily I'd like to see more of that's not playing. Um, and then linebackers. I mean, you know, they did throw Jawan Young out there a lot. Yeah. And, uh, again, fourth quarter, too, for his game, first game. So Yeah, and his first game back. So... That's kind of a head scratcher to me, but they seem to like him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, you know, Tyreek McCord is a guy that we had said we thought would get more reps. He's obviously gotten more reps now, but that's because of the injury to Darian Owens. I thought he kind of struggled at times, and um, yeah. oh, oh, you're, uh, I'm not going to say that's not really answering the question. I just hope he plays better moving forward. Uh, he also wants to know uh, what do you think your record will end up, and who do you think we lose to? Uh, that, there's so many variables with that. If you want to address it, go ahead. I, I just that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I just think, look, I still feel like every game against a decent opponent is going to be a toss-up game. So, I mean, look, this team should have scored 50 points on Nebraska with the way that game started out, and they ended up letting Nebraska back in the game. So moving, you know, I'll just address Cincinnati since that's the next game. You know, is Cincinnati a great team? No, I mean they're they're probably, you know, above average, but they do have a good offense and I think they have an offense that can, you know, give this defense a test. Now their defense, Cincinnati's defense, I think, I mean we saw last year they were atrocious. It was probably the worst, you know, non-FCS defense that that Miami faced all season long. Have they improved? I don't know. I haven't watched Cincinnati yet, but just judging off last year, I expect Cincinnati's defense to really struggle. 
But it's a Thursday night game on the road. Cincinnati, this is going to be their Super Bowl, so to speak. You know, and, and I expect kind of another toss-up game moving forward. So we'll see what happens against Cincinnati. You can continue to ask me what what the uh, what I expect the season record to be each week. But at this point, I I just want to see more of this team before I, I say anything else. You yeah, know? yeah, definitely. So I uh, didn't really address the actual record. I'll give you an answer there. But, you know, it's just we'll try to give you guys as much information as possible. And we have our own uh, guesses. Yeah, I mean, record. I mean, I don't know. It's just it, it could be anything from... You know, I could see anything from six, seven wins to eight wins. You know, six, seven, eight. I think that's what you're kind of looking at if you want a number. There you go. Uh, Shad1419 has four questions. Let's see if we can go through these fairly fast here. Do you feel Coach Melvin has done a better job with our D-line this year compared to last year? Jury's still out, right? I mean, it's three games in. Kind of hard to tell. but Yeah, I mean, I think it's slightly better, but it's still not close to where it needs to be yeah and the, the the scheme is still similar so he's I, melvin's a guy that bounced around a bunch of places and he's kind of adjust to what the coordinators want and that's what you're seeing um so yeah we'll, we'll see about production and, and how they do there uh number two where do you guys feel kaya stands compared to other collegiate quarterbacks yeah i mean i think he's i think he's very good i think you know he's certainly in the discussion for top acc quarterback um you know, if he continues to to play like he did the first quarter against Nebraska, he's going to be one of the top quarterbacks in the country. Sure. The ability is there. It'll just be what kind of season he has. And it, it can't be, we talk so much, but season is 12 games, regular season. You know, it's the whole collection. You know, it can't be in spots. So uh, the big thing with Kaya, I think, you know, how he'll be compared to other collegiate quarterbacks will be uh, determined upon how many games this team wins. Uh, I think quarterbacks... Yeah. Uh, and you got to beat good teams. I mean, you yeah. you got to you got to beat good teams. Sure, and and we don't know how good Nebraska is. You know, I think they're gonna honestly. Yeah. I think that they'll uh, they could have I a guess, struggling season too. So I guess when I say good teams, you know, I mean like Florida State, Clemson. Clemson. Sure, I'll I'll even throw Georgia Tech in there. Sure. Number three, do you feel a dominant performance by our team against Cincinnati warrants a top twenty-five spot? Um. I would say no. Warrants is a tough question. Um, I I think the answer or the question might be, is Miami, if they beat Cincinnati, are they a top 25 team? The way I might phrase it. But And, and to my, I do not think this is a top 25 team right now. Yeah. I, I mean, their record will be 4-0. Right. So, but, you know, voters might just look at that and, and give them some votes. But, you know, are they a team that if they're ranked in the top 25 after a Cincinnati win, are they going to end the season as a top 25 team? I don't know. Right. I would, I would probably say not. Lastly, how do you guys feel the start of the season compares to the 2013 season? Uh, in that season, that's when they went nine and four or started out seven and zero. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's probably some similarities the, the thing, I think the 2013 season was probably an easier path. Um, to start the season uh you know i guess they beat florida which turned out to be kind of a crappy florida team um but this season they they have florida state you know in that fifth game so i think it's kind of a tougher test earlier so again we kind of learned from that 2013 season don't jump too far ahead of yourselves uh and i think you know i would kind of pump the brakes a little with this start too yeah uh you're you're everybody expected miami to beat bethune and, and fau so that's two and a right there and then i felt nebraska was a toss-up so they, they beat nebraska is the way i look at it and the other two were essentially essentially gimmies uh stout beast he's up here with a question uh just shout out to stout beast real quick uh he contributes to the board quite a bit drops in plenty of knowledge and additional information in terms of bench press reps and and track times and all that so Thank you to Stout Beast. He's, his question is: Is Herndon going to play or be included more as he, as he as he is faster and quicker at 255? Should he be? You know, he should be a good blocker as he's quite strong. Any possible changes in the O line? Uh, just start with Herndon, David. You talked about him a little bit um, when we yeah. talked. You, I'd like, you like what you see. You like his athleticism, huh? I'd like to see him play more than Standish, to be honest. Um, That's a big statement. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess. Mean, I don't know. I mean, I just, I like the upside of Chris, and, you know, I just think there's more potential there than what Standish can offer. I think, you know, Standish is more of a traditional tight end, I guess. Um, but I think with Chris, he offers some, he offers more versatility at the position just because he is that much more athletic than Standish. Yeah, and the reason why I say a big statement, just because, you know, Standish is such a, that's the guy that they all talk about, and he's the guy that's gotten more reps, and I just think he's 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 kind of struggled, or he has struggled to to be effective in the passing game. Um, his route running hasn't been great in the sense that I feel like he's a little, uh, he's not as quick on his feet as, as Chris Herndon um, when he's yeah. running routes. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a situation to look for, you know, moving forward. Um, the staff... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say changes on the O line. Yeah, I don't really think so. Um, I I mean, I don't really remember much rotation against Nebraska. Do you? No, you know, thinking back, yeah. no. But there's guys that you know. I know Joe Brown's a guy that they talk about. So yeah, if, yeah. You know, if guys struggle, uh, I think struggle and losses will be something that changes. And and that's the same way like with Dobard. You know, with Herndon. You know, Dobart's their guy. You know, that's the guy that's going to get reps in. It would take something almost drastic to, to get passed up, I think. Just the staff doesn't necessarily always just pass guys just because um, they kind of stick with their guys and what, they, what they've what they been doing. So that's that. Uh, you World Order says, Chris, what are your thoughts on the play of Sonny thus far? You weren't high on him, if I recall. Yeah, Sonny Adagwu. Um, definitely question marks coming in this season. Um, they're at right tackle. The only, one thing I was saying, though, before the season was a lot of people were surprised that Casey McDermott wasn't the starter, but you know, I thought Sonny was, I I didn't think as highly as Casey as maybe some other people just assumed he was going to be great. Um, I thought Sonny was uh, doing fine. Uh, He's still a question mark. I think, you know, moving forward, we'll see how he does against as teams as the tougher teams progress. But, you know, I watched him last game and he was a guy that, you know, again, with the line, you know, making plays, um, doing a pretty good job. You know, he's just so big at six, eight there that sometimes, you know, it's tougher for him to get lower. Um, so I think he's been fine. I I don't think he's an all ACC type guy right now or anything like that. Uh, uh, I think physically, physically, just the physical talent, he's probably the most talented tackle that they have on the roster now. Now, he really, really, really needs to improve his technique and his football knowledge, just general football knowledge. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just think physically he's more talented than what Casey McDermott has to offer, and that's probably the big reason why he starts over Casey. Okay, and then Kane BG 21 another shout-out for him. Uh, he's been real positive about you know our podcast and – chiming in and and certainly other people have too but he's been a guy that's uh definitely been encouraged or been wanting to hear what we had to say so chris and david how do you feel about the progress of the team so far this year that's something that's obviously you know if a lot of people didn't expect the team to do real well how do you how do we feel you know three games in how do you have they progressed are they about what we thought they'd be in terms of overall play not necessarily record but just their overall play how do you feel they've progressed I would. I mean, we touched on it a little bit already, but I feel like the offensive line showed some signs of progressing. Which, you know, coming in, they were my big question mark with the offense. And uh, you know, against Nebraska, they they improved. They need to keep improving, like I said. But certainly, you feel good about that progression. Um, I've been very pleased with Joe Yearby. I mean, he's been he's been better than I expected. So he's making big plays in the running game. He's very effective running the ball out of shotgun. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I'm surprised, but he's been better than, than I thought. And that's fair. You know, we, we, we definitely had question marks with Joe coming into the season. Um, I had question marks about the passing game uh, coming into the year. Would they go downfield? And, and we saw that against Nebraska. Uh, they yeah. did throw the ball downfield. And I had questions of – not necessarily, you know, I was just wanting to see it. I want because I believed it was there. I was disappointed that we weren't seeing it enough. And I'm not talking about the two games and playing conservatively. We saw it in the spring and it just seemed like their mentality to, was to go short. I wanted to see them go downfield. And I still believe it, it can still be improved. And um, again, it can't just be against Nebraska. It's got to be, you know, from here on out, 
you got a quarterback, obviously, that you like that's been productive. You've got receivers that that should give you confidence that you can do that. So I, I'm impressed with the that they that they did do that against Nebraska, and I want to keep seeing that. Um, yeah. I'll say defensively, I still don't know. Um, I don't know if they're better yet. Uh, they've been so up and down from game to game. You know, it's one half they look great, then the next half they don't. It's- uh, I will I will say like. Player-wise, I'm you know excited about Corn. He looks. I mean, he's he's been great this year. I'm excited about Jamal Carter. He seems to be gaining the trust of the coaches and his physical talent. You know, you can't deny it. So hopefully, he just continues to see more and more playing time. So I guess I guess I would just say in general, the DB group has been you know fun to watch this year so far. Yeah, and the defense I, I still think is a question mark. Uh, I think there, there's been too many negative things that we've seen with the defense to make me believe that there's been ultimate pro- progress from the group. Uh, I, I can't get over what we saw there in the fourth quarter. I can't get over what we saw against FAU in the first half. Um, so yeah. that's where I, I'm at with the progress of the defense. I still think it's a major question mark. I think they've got a lot to prove. And uh, they'll, they'll definitely have their opportunities, and we'll see how they do against Cincinnati, You know, Florida State, Clemson. You know Virginia Tech and and Duke coming up, so uh, they definitely have their challenges ahead of them, and they'll have they'll have more than enough opportunities to prove themselves. Sure. And finally, uh, this is the last question. Uh, thanks for everyone for sticking with us here. Uh, USMC C Kane seven seven three nine nine has a question. Thanks for your service. Um, he wants to know about the defensive line play this this thus far. Uh, definitely a question mark. It's been a question mark since Golden's been here, just in terms of talent at that position, um, overall play. I pointed out a few stats that that are that have alarmed me with the defensive tackle posi- or defensive line position. You know, last year they go 21 tackles for losses as a group. Uh, in 2006, Calais Campbell had 20.5. So uh, the defensive line has to be better, has to make plays. But David, when we talk about the defensive line, Again, we can pinpoint like, oh, this guy needs to be better. This guy needs to be more productive. But then you watch him play, and you're like, well, why are they? How are they going to be making plays when your defensive ends are, are used so much in the pass, passing game, or you know, to defend the pass, and they're not getting upfield, and just the the technique and the the their their style of play that they want the the defensive line to play. It's hard to see how they're going to be making plays sometimes. So, but what what are your thoughts on it? I I, I think that the you know, when you see see guys like Chad Thomas and Muhammad, those are two guys that maybe in a natural four three that can rush off the edge. Yeah, I I do feel like I do think Chad Thomas flashed some ability against Nebraska. I think I think he had a pretty good game. He was getting in the backfield a lot. Um, you know, he didn't uh, get any sacks against Nebraska, but I feel like he was doing a good job getting some pressure. Uh, but like you said, I mean, it's. I'm just not. I'm not a fan of the whole read and react on the defensive line. It's it's very hard for me to watch. As soon as the ball is snapped, Alquadine Muhammad has to go sideways and hold his gap before, you know, when he reads the play before he gets upfield to attack. So just in general, I mean, you know, I don't know if we'll necessarily see a defensive line under this regime that puts up gaudy stat numbers. And I know you tweeted the other day, what was the tweet you had uh, with Calais Campbell and tackles for loss? (laughs) Yeah, I just mentioned that, Dave. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, they had 21 21 as a group last year. Campbell had 20.5 in 2006 for for everyone that wasn't listening. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I guess I was in that group. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's been a long podcast here. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think Kendrick Norton, you see some signs, but he, he's got to stop, you know, with those hands-to-the-face penalties. Um, but he's certainly a big body at D-tackle. I just think it's a combination of they still need to upgrade the talent there on the D-line, and the scheme doesn't really help them. So that's kind of how I feel about it. All right, I think that's about it. Now for the next hour, we'll preview Cincinnati. No, just kidding. Uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, anything else? Any final words? Anything you're working on that you want to tell people about on InsideTheU.com? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, just check the site. We're gonna we're gonna be hitting recruiting more hard. Uh, you know, moving forward with 
with kind of recruiting season coming in November, start of November. Um, so yeah, check out the site. We'll we'll talk more recruiting here moving forward too in in future podcasts. So you know, I went and checked out Jack Allison earlier this this season, and uh, you know, I can certainly share my thoughts on him and you know other guys that I've seen at different camps and stuff. So you know, I look forward to talking about that and. and some other stuff as well. Yeah, sure. We have plenty to talk about with recruiting. Uh, we'll probably do a, maybe just a whole, a whole show just dedicated to recruiting. Our thoughts there. A lot to talk about with so many commits on, at all levels. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, in case you guys missed it, I, I did an article on a number of NBA players working out at the University of Miami. If you guys are into the NBA, man, a ton of big names. LeBron, KD, James Harden, you know, Kyrie Irving, and about 10 other NBA guys have been through the, the facility and um, again, I know it's basketball. We're talking football now, but check out that article. It's great, great publicity for the University of Miami. Great to see those guys uh, down at UM. And the NBA season starting soon. And as as with basketball, and we'll do a little bit of basketball, but obviously primary focus on football. Thanks again for listening, uh, David. Good talking to you. Uh, thanks, and uh, you know, at Inside the U on Twitter. And again, you guys know the website InsideTheU.com. Thanks for thanks for listening. Thank you.